Don't worry, I didn't come this morning to raise Cain. It's only necessary when I encounter a step stairs at this point. I'm grateful to the Lord to be able to be here today. I actually came 24 hours early. I came for the Bible study yesterday morning, Neil. You locked me out. I stood before the sign. It was, it was like God had a sense of humor. It said there, all are welcome, except tomorrow's preacher. <laughs> That's okay. We're glad to be here this morning and uh, glad to be here with my wife. In these past few months, we celebrated our, I better get this right, 53rd wedding anniversary. And uh, my wife and I are a combination birthdays. Her, she just had her birthday, too. And uh, our combination age is about 151 years. But I'll let you... <laughs> I'll tell you my age, but I won't tell you hers. I'm 78. I'm 78. So you can, so now I've just... Oh, that's bad. Sorry, honey. My wife and I come from totally different backgrounds. My wife comes from a family of 13. I came from a family of three. And so when I asked her, I said, how many, how many brothers and sisters do you have? And she said, 12. I went bald right then because I really was looking forward to marrying her. <laughs> we, we love our family reunions. We have, have over 150 attended sometimes. And, uh, but we just recently had one with a funeral. It wasn't quite that many, but it was, we had some of the family get together. And I thank God for my, my wife, her family. And I thank God for the privilege of being here at Coldstream this morning. And... Uh, Three, I've had good relationship with three of your preachers. I don't mean I had a bad relationship with the others. I just meant that they were th friends of mine over the years. Eldon Caldwell, one of the older pastors, and had the joy of being with him for a lot in these last years. We go every once a week. My son-in-law and I, my son-in-law invited me. He said, I'm, I'm having breakfast with an old friend of yours. And, and I went down, and, and uh, it was a seniors group. Uh, one man was 100, the other man was 97, uh, Mr. Caldwell was 97, and another man was 94, and there was my son-in-law and I. I'm 78, but I felt like I was in the nursery, <laughs> and listening from these men of God and enjoying their fellowship, and uh, we had a great time. And then, of course, Mike Horseman, I knew Mike as a young man. I, pastor came over from Littleton, Maine to see me and asked me to come and lead the singing for uh, Mr. Dowie while he would be preaching. And I uh, won't forget that. My wife and Mrs. Dowie were with us. The pastor got our names mixed up and he said, my name's Hogue, Mr. Dowie. Mr. Dowie and Mrs. Dowie, my wife and I, he said, we're glad to have the dogs and the Howies here tonight. <laughs> that got me off to a good start. <laughs> What's this got to do with the message this morning? Absolutely nothing. But every one of us sitting here this morning, you're creating a story. There's the story of your history. And it's important 
for us to understand that we are uniquely created by God. And God desires for all his creation to come to know him. So you're writing two stories. You're writing the story of your own reputation, which we all are doing. And unfortunately, if you take the equation way, way back to your grandparent Adam, to the nth degree, <laughs> we all are related to Adam. And you know the story, the Bible tells you the story of that. Adam and Eve fell in the garden, sin came upon the human race, and the result of that is this, that every one of us sits here this morning, whether we like it or not, and whether we want to admit it or not, but the truth is, we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we at times act like our great, 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 and I won't go on, that would take me the whole sermon just saying great, great grandfather, Adam. We're all making a story, and not one of us is better than the other. We have different stories to tell. And it's important to understand that every person that doesn't know Christ has not been a plague to human society. There's many a wonderful things that people have done who didn't know the Lord for humanity and inventions. But the fact of the matter is this. We all are writing our own story. We're also, we also can choose rather than just to focus on our own story, we can link with the real story of history, with the one man who changed the history of the human race and turned and turned men from their sins to himself. A Fox reporter recently wrote, is writing a book called How I Saved the Human Race. I won't say any more about it. I'll just say this. There's only one man that saved the human race. And I'm not saying that in derision. I happen to like the fellow that said that. I don't like the name of the book, but that's okay. He's not going to answer to me. He's writing his own story. But there's one man. And there's only one man to be trusted completely. There's only one man to be praised eternally. And that man is Jesus Christ. So I believe very, very very much what I'm about to say to you I want to give you a testimony and believe you me I have wrestled with this I had prepared three different messages I won't preach them all this morning you don't worry about that mainly because my wife's here and I really prefer to keep my marriage intact she knows me better than anyone she's said to me often honey that message this morning would make a great three-week series But don't worry, you will be out on time. God's time, I hope. Let's have a word of prayer so God can protect you from the preacher saying what he shouldn't say and guide me to say what I should say. Are you with me in it? A couple of amens. That's all right. I'm not preaching for an amen. But thank you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, Thank thee for the privilege of being here. This church means much to Heather and I. We thank thee for the privilege we have of being here. I thank thee that 
our son David was able to take his fourth year here, that many of our students at MBBI have been blessed by the hospitality, the generosity, and the kindness of the Coldstream Baptist Church. And I thank you for that. And I thank you, Father, having recognized that Pastor Horseman and Pastor Caldwell had a part in this ministry. I thank thee for our present pastor. I thank thee for Jeremy. I thank thee for the heart and the passion that he has for the lost and for the word of God. Thank thee for Carissa. Known her family a long time. Thank thee for the Johnsons. For the Father, we thank thee for their being here and ministering and for all those who are bowed here and those with whom I have worked at NBBI, we thank thee for the privilege of seeing that you are working today. Now, Father, guide thy servant. Help me to say what's needful. Help me to, Father, be sure that I allow your word to take precedence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 32, I would like you to turn to. Several years ago in Ontario, I stood before one of my buddies who was in Bible college at Ontario Bible College. And he looked at me and he was a very direct guy. He happened to be a friend of A.W. Tozer. If any of you have known the A.W. Tozer, the, the, the writer who's written so many books in his walk with God and a man that God used wonderfully. And he looked at me and he said, Hogue, Paul said in Acts, and we read it this morning, he says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry. Every one of us sitting here has a ministry, that's serving others. Some of you are serving him in various occupations. Some of you have served him all your life. You gave of the strength of your youth and in your older age you are still serving Jesus Christ at the stage of life he has for you. And God, who honors the cup of cold water given in his name, will honor whatever you do for him. Paul, the apostle, in those beautiful verses, was talking to the elders at Ephesus and talking about their responsibility to the church of God. And in doing that, he was warned about not going up to Jerusalem, not going eventually to Rome, places of hostility toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul said, none of these things move me. So my friend was right in asking me that question. The problem was I was a young preacher, and I thought that makes a good sermon. And I went to NBBI, and those poor kids, the teacher came out, and I'm speaking one of my first sermons, so I say, Paul could say, none of these things move me. What moves you? Great weapon a preacher has, right? But you know what? It's easy to say it, but it's harder to live, isn't it? It's a life of walking with God. 
And your story has ups and downs. Your story has trials and triumphs. Your stories have times when you can sense the presence of God and you sense God moving and times when you wonder where God is. That's the truth of the reality. You should never do that because he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. Omnipotent. Omniscient. But, but the theologians have those words. God's everywhere. He knows everything. It's always under his control. And there's never a time when he's not present. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. We have his presence with us. And it's a great promise. Well, I didn't realize that the Word of God was going to be so alive and could minister to my heart. And I cherish those days at MBBI when I met and sat in those classrooms and listened to the men of God teach. They weren't perfect. I studied under them, I lived with them, and they had to live with me, which was more the difficult task. But let me say to you this, they were what they were, and they believed the Word of God, and they taught the Word of God, and they believed in the promises of God. And so I, I want to suggest to you that there are certain verses that have become very personal to me in the Word of God. And I think God wants us to read it seeking what he has to say to us. Now there's a proper way to approach it and I'll leave it to those who are gifted in that way to talk to you about all those, those principles of hermeneutics and the theology, this differences. But I want to say God wrote this book for you. He wrote it for me. He wrote it for every human being. And if a man comes to God and has a desire to learn, he won't, he won't God's not going to reveal things to you. You know, the, I learned from Moses in, in reading recently through, through the scriptures. Moses, Moses said, There are secret things that belong to God that will and are not revealed to man. But he says there's things we're accountable for that are revealed to us. There's a lot of people trying to figure out God and how he does it, how he saves us, what he had in mind. But he reveals himself through his word. And so I began early as a young man. I, and I want to share some of my personal testimony to show how God's word works for us. Psalm 32. Psalm 32. One of the first verses that I recall. There's one just before this that came into my life earlier, but I want to speak at this right now. I'm reading Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. This is a psalm of David, as you may know. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the draught of summer. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. 
Now, it's important for you at this point to understand who's writing this. Anybody tell me from the congregation who's writing this psalm? David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the one whom God called as a shepherd to be the king of Israel. And David had sinned. And this psalm is a psalm not of David the saint, but of David the sinner. And David is writing this, and he is a believer. And he's trusted in Christ. He's looking forward to Christ. Boy, this business of dividing the Old Testament from the New, so much so that we fail to see how these men were plugged into eternity and into the eternal Christ looking forward for him. Seeing him in every line of the Old Testament and learning and wanting to be a part of what God was doing for eternity. And when they did, they all came to the realization first and foremost that they were sinners and didn't deserve to be in the service of God. But God in his grace had called them. And so when they sinned, one of the first things you'll find that what happens in their lives is that they understand that a throne that they were going to was a throne, and we will have to learn from the New Testament and can learn from the New Testament. I call my devotional time the throne of grace. The reason I call it that is because the writer of Hebrews says, seeing we have such a great high priest, the Lord Jesus, let us come boldly to what? The throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And you'll find that in all these writings that the men God used, the very first thing that they were struck with was their own sinfulness. And God had to bring me to that position. I grew up in a Christian home. Godly parents, godly ancestry, my great-grandfather on my great-great-great-grandfather on my mother's side was a converted Russian Jew, and he became a Baptist preacher <laughs> and founded two Baptist churches. Now, that's not what makes you special to God, that you found two Baptist churches. I'm not being insulting here or anything, but the fact is he was a man that God saved out of Judaism became a preacher of the gospel of Christ. And he prayed for his generations unto several generations. My, my mother's told me this. I never met my, grandfather, my grandmother on my mother's side. Never met my grandfather or grandmother on my father's side. My father and mother got married. My father was 23 years older than my mother when they got married. And so there was a big, there was a generation gap. Not for them, but for, for us. <laughs> and, and, and out of that, Anyway, the ancestry goes back, but they you know, my parents raised me in the knowledge of the Word of God. My mother and dad helped in a city mission downtown Toronto, and uh, it was a Presbyterian mission. My father was Methodist. His parents were Methodists, old-fashioned Methodists, gospel preaching. My grandfather and uh, served the Lord, lived for the Lord in the railway. He was the head of the uh, CN Railway and one of the first to occupy the place in the center of Toronto 
Grant sent the Union Station in Toronto, but Dad's family, uh, Dad's family uh, were brought up in the faith and the teaching of the Methodist Church. My mother was brought up, she, her mother attended Spurgeon Church, Tabernacle, in, in London, and she, she was found born in Baptist background. But both my parents came to know Christ as their savior personally. And uh, when, my, when my dad died and one man stood up and he said, I've got a doctor of divinity. He's a man that later founded Canadian Compassion. You've heard the organization. He worked on Canadian Compassion and led it and preached for Billy Graham team in Canada and taught their evangelistic teachings. But I can remember those folk, they were in the United Church at that time, sitting around our table and I can remember my Sunday school teacher coming one day. He'd gone to a Billy Graham crusade and he got saved. The week before, he wasn't sure whether Jesus was God. The United Church was starting to change at the time. And he came back the next week and he came to know Christ as a savior. He became a leader in Kodak Company, but he was a, a man that, that served God. His son became a gospel singer. But I remember those young people in, when the one who worked for Compassion at my dad's funeral, he said, I got my doctorate, and he named the place where he got his doctorate. He said, but I, he said, I got my training at the church at Hogue's house. Now, we weren't starting a church in opposition, but they'd sit around the table and discuss the word of God. And those young men, I can remember them. And my parents didn't intimidate them. They let them say and talk. And many of those folks got saved. And, and, and God began to work and blessed in their lives. I thank God for that heritage. But here's what I want you to say. I was brought up in all that, baptized in the United Church. Then when we left and went to the Baptist Church, when the church began to change its doctrine and turn from Christ and the teachings of Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ. And we went to the other church and many began to go there. And so came, I, I had never been baptized, so by immersion I'd been sprinkled in the United Church. So I just, I followed through and I got baptized in the Baptist Church. I knew with my head that that's what I was taught and it came from the Bible and I knew it was the right thing and I knew I didn't walk or question whether Jesus was what he claimed to be but it all became language that I knew and I when I was 19 years of age I was president of our youth group and it was a very active youth group had a missionary fund and served God and the young people were reaching out but I went to church one night, and the guy came up and he said, Hogue, pray for Paul. He said, Paul, Paul, said, Paul had been living pretty, very wild and turning over the, kicking over the traces of the things that he was been taught. And he said, pray for him. I said, I will. And that night, the Spirit of God used a man named Bernard Paris who sang a hymn to speak to my heart. Little did others know the rage that was going on in my heart. I had come from Camp Minioi where I was a counselor and one night up 
Ferry Lake, north of Toronto. A storm was raging. And I was in the cabin. I led a young boy. He asked me how to be saved, and I knew where to turn. So I turned to Romans 10.9. And I showed him that if he confessed his, with his mouth the Lord Jesus, believed in his heart that Christ would raise, save, had raised from the dead, he would be what? Saved. And that night, he looked at me, and he said, Flop. Now, Flop was the name they gave me because... Elvis Presley was the man on the seam and everybody wore their, wore their hair in the big wave. You remember that time? So, no, you're not old enough. That's before your time. And we put a half a pound of bro cream on our hair and waved it and then dove in the water, flop. And that's what he meant. So I just want you to understand why he called me that. But the point simply and what I want to make is this. And this is important. I showed him how to be saved. He asked Christ to save him. I went in the cabin, and there was a storm raging in my heart. And I came conviction from the word of God. And I landed a few months later in this evening service. I was there every week. But that night, while saying, yeah, we should pray for Paul, Bernard Parrish stood up and sang, Safe in the Arms of Jesus. And I knew I wasn't safe. I knew I had never trusted Christ as my personal Savior. At Gideon Bible, I signed, and I knew that would please my parents when I got home. Now, I wasn't thinking through all the ramifications, but it's so easy to get in a form. It's so easy to say words we don't really understand or mean. Is it not? It is. Now, faith's not difficult. But that night, I came under conviction, and then the pastor stood up and he preached a message on so near yet so far. Now you have to understand my pastor. He was not a hellfire brimstone type preacher that was going after people trying to scare them into heaven. But he was clear with the gospel and the message of the gospel and the difference between heaven and hell. The 18 inches between the head and the heart. And I don't mean just the physical organ. But we understand that salvation is a volitional attachment it means by your will you say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for me. I believe that Jesus Christ bore my sins on the cross of Calvary. Romans 10 and 9, let me read it to you. Keeping my finger in Psalm 32, but Romans 10 and 9. You're familiar with it. But this verse was going to be and make powerful impact. The first time I read it, I signed it in the back of the Gideon Bible, but it, I didn't understand or grasp it. I thought it would be the thing to do. My parents would be happy. And my parents, I thank God for their faithfulness and prayers for me and teaching and patience with me. But that verse, Romans 10, 9, and I would encourage everyone here to read this chapter carefully. Two key things I would point out show you how powerful God's word is. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be what? Saved. You confess with your mouth. You believe. Jesus said even concerning all the commandments, what did he say? He said, the first great commandment is, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with what? 
all your heart, emotionally, volitionally, with everything you have, you believe. You trust in Christ. You understand what Christ says about you is true. You understand what the Word of God says is true when it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I had known that verse. I had religion. I was a Baptist. I followed the teachings of the Baptists. I did not and was known in high school as a guy who wouldn't dance, swear, smoke, or chew, or run around with those who do. The old saying they used to say. But, but, that night, it wasn't everybody else that I was concerned about. And it wasn't Paul. It was me. And I realized I was a sinner and I needed Christ and I came under conviction of sin and that night I was so under conviction I could not go forward I stayed in my seat weeping the pastor came down sat beside me and in doing that he said son what's wrong and I said pastor I am lost I need to be saved and he took me up and we sat with the deacons and one of the deacons said to me John if you're not saved he said then I think nobody in the youth group saved bad thing to say and my pastor said to him Bill that's wrong the young man has said he wants to be saved my pastor knew the difference between giving assurance and false assurance but he said, let the Spirit of God work. Stuart Briscoe would say it was religion without reality. And religion without reality always breeds rebellion. And you know, I had gone through a period of time. I had always had tried to obey my parents. I got angry with my father. I created anger in my father that it really he was within his realm of responding to me the way he did when I spoke to him as I did as a young man of 18. And I was going through a period of rebellion in my heart, but outward people didn't know it. I thank God that I had a pastor that let me deal with God and come before God in the way God has described me. Not as a lovely young man, a young, lovely young church boy, but as somebody who had a heart that was sinful and needed cleansing by the blood of Christ. And that night, I asked Christ to save me. I had religion without reality, which always breeds rebellion. The Word of God, that verse that I had thought about, signed, it came back time, years and years, and then, of course, the Word of God broke in my heart and broke my heart. The Spirit of the Lord came upon me, Isaiah says. The Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance 
of our God to comfort all that mourn. Isaiah is spoken of and referred to here in this same chapter, and I would encourage you to read Romans 10 carefully. You may be able to help, maybe help someone who you love dearly and who need to be faced with the word of God and the truth of it and salvation. Salvation to putting in the heart to Christ. But look at verse 10 or 20 of chapter 10. Paul is using various Old Testament references and he's talking about the Jewish obstinates. They had religion without, rebel without reality and they were rebellious. And Paul goes on and he says, look at this, verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, thou, you, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold. Do you notice it, verse 20? Isaiah is very bold in his proclamation of the truth. And here's what I want you to understand. He saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he said, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. One thing you learn as you read through the scriptures, and we've lost this, if you lift, miss out on the Old Testament particularly and, and, and stay only in the New, you will fail to see how many times that verse, I was sought of them who sought, I sought them who sought me what? Not. Think about it. It wasn't always the religious Jew. See the people that came to God. Read the story of Naaman the leper, where a little girl tells, tells her tell, and gets the message to him that there was a man of God, referred to scores of times as a man of God, Elisha. And if he could contact Elisha, Elisha could help him with his leprosy. And so what happens is this, when Nahum was healed, you know what he said? It, it, it's, it's powerful. 2 Kings 5, let me read it to you. 2 Kings 5, that wonderful story of the man, the great military leader. And what's he do? He goes down and the prophet insults him by telling him to be baptized in the Jordan River. But you know what happens? The little girl talks with him, and then he had a faithful general. And these are not people that were seeking the Lord. He was a pagan, serving under a pagan king, and trying to find the God who could help, the man of God who could help him in the people of God, Israel. And the Bible tells us this. Chapter 5, Nahum, verse 15. 
after he finally obeys and is instructed because of the wise leadership that his general gave him, he said if he'd asked something great for you to do, he told him to go duck seven times in the muddy Jordan River. And he's arguing with the process. And so he says, verse 15, and he returned to the man of God and all his company. That man of God is Elisha and it's mentioned there several times throughout Elijah's name. That's what he was known for. And he and all his company and came and stood before him and he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in what? But in Israel. Now therefore I pray thee, take a blessing of thy... He wants to pay them for the goodness that they, in, in, in helping him and helping him with his leprosy. And he, he wants... But the man of God won't take it. He's not taking it. What he wants for him to do is to understand that it's God that's done this. And you know, that pagan man came and he said, I know there is no God in all the earth. You know what he's saying? But in Israel. He's saying the true God is the God of Israel. Do you believe that tonight, this morning? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the true God is the God of Israel? The believer? Is he the true God in all the earth? One of the things, we're always looking for a good guy in the story, and he always comes from our own ranks. But in the story, notice that Nahum admits and gives a confession that was better than many of the Israelites who had adopted the ways of the people that they had driven out. Why do I connect that with Romans? Because in Romans 10, where Paul is saying to the Jews, the gospel of Christ is the message that we should be preaching. He will go on to say, I could wish myself accursed if my brethren in Israel would come to Christ. But when it says Isaiah is bold, it's teaching us this. You go through the Old Testament. Was Abraham seeking God? God called Abraham. There's none that seeketh after God, not by nature, naturally. But we are told to seek when we are confronted with the truth and we confronted with the word of God. Abraham, the first Jew, was a Gentile. Think of it. Think of the fact that Nebuchadnezzar, he came in contact with Daniel, who knew the God of heaven. And that's the God that Nahum sees here in Elisha. Elisha was a man of God. There's only one God. And that's the God of heaven and earth. That's Jehovah. That's the one who revealed himself in Jesus Christ. And see in the Old Testament how often people, people like Abraham, Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Cyrus, were all said to be servants of God, pagan people that God used in places of leadership. But when they got confronted with a true believer, that true believer showed them who the real God was. 
That's the greatest responsibility we have in the church of Jesus Christ in the hour in which we live is to show people that there is one God. Jesus Christ is his name. We need to be as bold in the presentation of Christ as Isaiah was. Think of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus Christ. He, he's writing about the place Christ will be born. He's writing about the place Christ will die. He's writing about the purpose Christ will die for. He plugged in in his own time. And that happened in the conversion in his life when he went to the funeral of his hero, Uzziah. And in the years Uzziah died, I saw also what? The Lord high and lifted up. And Paul writes, Isaiah was bold. Bold about what? He preached the message. And if you go to Isaiah 6, take time sometime today, go to Isaiah 6, you'll see this. And not only do we need a Romans 9 experience, trusting Christ and Christ alone and confessing him as our personal Savior and believing that God raised him from the dead and being unashamed. Boy, when Paul wrote that, study carefully the scriptures. We want ideal circumstances. I believe there's going to be many people in heaven during this time of COVID-19. I believe it. Who got saved. And who got saved and had nobody to trust but who? Christ. I believe that the circumstances, think about how God's word has come to us. And Isaiah, 700 years before Christ is born, writes about him. And I get so excited about this. I talked to a young business boy, man. He's a young man, young, just coming out of his late teens, but he's in business. And, and I talked to him, and I said, do you realize that God has, in his book, used the man who lived 2,700 years ago to t teach us that God has a plan for our lives, that God the Creator is interested in us and has a plan. Eternity doesn't start 10 years from now. It doesn't start when Christ comes back. Eternity is now. And it's going to continue. Of course, he's going to change it, right? And he's going to bring us so we can live in the eternal state with him and live on this world when he will reign on the throne for a thousand years. You see, Isaiah was bold. He spoke about a Christ who hadn't come yet. He prophesied about a Christ and he went out on a limb. But 700 years later, Peter pick, picks up Isaiah, reads him, and Peter writes, and then he writes about our time, tells us what it's going to be like in the last days. And you know what? What's he tell us? He tells, he tells us, and he speaks, and he preaches Isaiah's words. And then the apostles go out to preach, and Paul's preaching the gospel of Christ, and you don't come too far into the book of Acts, where Philip a deacon sits down with a man in the Gaza desert and the man's reading who? Isaiah. 700 years after. And what does Philip do? Opening the scriptures where he was, he preached unto him who? Jesus. And we've got 2,000 years of church history since then. And we've got Peter's writing and the boldness of Peter. God, thank God for the boldness of Isaiah. Thank God for the boldness of Peter. Thank God for the boldness of Paul. God, we need to have boldness today to be unashamed of Christ and to understand that that's the only message man needs.
There's only one name given among men whereby we might be saved. That's the name of who? Jesus. And I thank God that God got a hold of my heart. I thank God that that night I was saved. I thank God for a pastor who, when he dealt with me, and it wasn't until shortly after, I took, I was converted to Christ, and then I started getting on my new convert high horse. And I found, I think this church is full of backsliders. And I came to the pastor to tell him, as if he didn't know. And, but he knew about me. You know what he did? Did the wise thing. Opened the scriptures again. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw also the Lord. And my pastor said to me, John, you're, li- you're trying to be Isaiah 5. I said, I didn't know Isaiah 5 at the time. And then he showed me. And Isaiah pronounces seven woes on everybody else. He saw the sins of Israel. He was called to prophesy and teach them about it, right? But you know who he was looking at? Everybody else. Woe unto them that drink, etc., etc. And he went down through all the things. Those that lay house to house and nobody can get alone on the face of the earth. That's why I love to move to New Brunswick. I lived in Toronto. I found it much more peaceful coming to this area. But let me say this to you. I, God took the word and instead of my pastor siding with me, <laughs> my pastor let the word do its work in my heart and life. And he showed me, Isaiah said, not woe is them. He changed his tune. Isaiah 6, he said, woe is who? Me. All have sinned. That includes me. You see, I think, and I agree with C.S. Lewis when he says this, when he's dealing in his book on pain, and, he, and he, you can't deal with pain without dealing with hell. That's going to be a long time of pain, isn't it? But C.S. Lewis said, as Christians, what we need to do is we need, when we think of the subject of hell, we should not be sitting there discussing the guy we think is unsaved. We should understand that hell is not about your sister, your brother, your uncle, your aunt, your neighbor. Hell is about you, and God has saved you from it and taken you out of it, and he will save you for eternity. He's begun a work. You will have the sin nature with you as long as you sin. We sin And we're sinners condemned by who we are. We're human beings and all have sinned. But we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by will. We do what we know. We all go through it. We go through that phase where we, should I say this? And then we bring up and give ourselves six justifications why we can say that about that person. (laughs) Or, Or is that just me? Folks, and I'm not trying to beat on anybody. I'm saying this. Billy Graham was right just before he died. He said, I don't know why everybody's trying to be relevant. If you just sit down with a man, look him in the eye, you have one relevant topic to discuss. It's both your sins. And with a lot more humility, more people would come to Christ. We're not out to try and clean up the world. We're there to preach the gospel. The only message that takes men where they're at and cleanses them and becomes the power of God unto salvation. So let me say to you, I thank God for a pastor that not only led me to Christ, but I thank God for my pastor when he helped me to realize. And he told me it very 
pointedly and straight. John, John, the Bible says Jesus was full of grace and truth. And he said, if you want people to believe the truth, they've got to see what? The grace. Do we always do it? No. But when we sin, some place to play, place to start in reaching the other person is this help me remove the barrier of my life, <laughs> my sinful approach. And I, I, I tell you, when, when that comes together, it's the Word of God. And the Word of God does it. The Word of God cleanses. We have to be continually. If I can suggest very simply in drawing this to a close, I, I think it's a good practice in our lives to continually be reading through the Bible. Not to solve all the problems, not trying to be and trying to figure out God. The writer of Deuteronomy says, there are secrets of God that no man knows. I don't want to listen to people who are trying to tell me how God thinks. I want to listen to people who tell me what God says in his word about what he thinks. Job, if the, if the godliest man, one of the godliest men in the Old Testament should say and end his whole deal and debate, and the debate with his friends, and they were his friends, by saying, I am vile. Job. You know what God uses? He uses one of the godliest men in the Old Testament to teach us the need to repent. Oh, boy, that strikes me. And then he says, but I know thou canst do all things. I know in my, 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 in my flesh I'll see my Redeemer. I know my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I'll see God. He wrestled with the things. Take a page from Jacob's life. Jacob wrestled with God, and I love this. I came across this a few months ago, and, and, and I've known the story, but as I came across it, the words were struck out with me. Jacob wrestled with Jesus in the great wrestling match, and you know what God said to him at the end? Hey, folks, if you've got a problem and you don't understand what God's doing, tell God about it. Wrestle with him about it. He, he's okay with it. He spent and put in your Bible a whole book called the book of Habakkuk who had a controversy with him and, and was arguing about first of all his people and then when God says, okay, I'm going to judge him, he says, oh no. So he's arguing with God, but at the end he turns out and he sees the beauty of God and he sees the strength of God and he sees the, the comfort that God can give and he sees a time, he said, and even if everything I have, if I lose everything, I know he says, I know that God, God will set me like a deer on hind's feet on high places and I'll be able to navigate even though I lose everything, even though COVID it takes everything. What a joy to see those places where COVID has not wiped them out, but where God is still moving and working and in lives. And so the beauty to me is this, that the God who saves us is the God that still causes us to come under conviction over our sin and wants us to repent. It's not about getting saved over and over. It's about realizing that in the flesh we sin. The lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, the love, the pride of life, they don't just leave us when we get saved. So if you're struggling, wrestling with God, that's good. But listen, here's the beauty. 
Joseph wrestled with God, and God says, Jacob, I mean, Jacob, he says, Jacob, you've wrestled with God and men. Boy, the wrestling he took to try and get his, what he felt belonged to him, to fight with his brother Esau, deceive his father. And he says, Jacob, you've wrestled with God and men, and you've won. And now, Jacob, just to show you that I'm in control, he gave him a limp. Gave him a little difficulty <laughs> in his walk. But I'll tell you this, every step he took, he knew that that wrestling match was worth it because God says, you've struggled with me and you've won. You've struggled with men and you've won. And I've changed your name to Israel. And you will be to the praise of God. And that old man, and I love, I love the story of Joseph, and I must here wrap it up. But I love the story where Joseph is there and his brothers have gone and Joseph sends him back to prison <laughs> for three days. He wants them. Don't worry about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit's working and people feel guilty, let the Spirit do the work. Don't, we don't have to do it. Let them think about it. And he <laughs> sends them back to prison and they're all worried. And those chapters, as you know, who've been studying it, fear, fear, fear. They're afraid their father's going to die. And then Joseph compounds it by saying, now I want you to bring Benjamin up. And then they think their father's going to, oh, he won't let him come. And they still don't know who Joseph is. And what's Joseph tell them? As when they think he's the ruler and a pagan, Egyptian, he says to them, listen, you guys, I want you to know I fear God. I fear God. And he said, you need to fear God and live. You're not really living. Fear God and live. And then you find the story. You know all that happens. And they bring their dad back. And even Jacob, he says, I don't want to, don't, don't want to go up to Egypt. Don't, don't want to go there. I, I'll die. And I don't want to die in Egypt. I want to die in the land of promise. You know what he said? He was fearing death. It's a good lesson for us. Wrestle with God. Fear him and live. Wrestle with man and we lose. Wrestle with the world and we lose. But wrestle with them and win. How do you win? You win in Christ. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul, God chooses Paul, and he says, I want you to write the word of God. What's he do? He puts him in prison. And in prison, he writes. He writes the prison epistles. He writes the word of God. He struggles with his eye problem. He gives us the word of God. And what's he say? He says, listen, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live see and the life i live when when now the life i what now live i love i love to sing songs of heaven i love to sing the songs of the of the saints and i love to sing about the coming of christ those are powerful things to me and and i do i do i place a lot of time in and in, in, in listening to music each day i have a theme song i listen to and i will quote this as i close but listen to me, God wants us to live now. He wants us to represent Christ now. We have one message to the world. I wrote about it in the bulletin a few weeks ago, a few months ago, but it came out just recently. And there's one message, John ends on Patmos in prison, one message he has for the church, and the message is this, Christ said, well, I come quickly, and what did John say? Even so what? Come. And beloved, that's the message we have because 
The message to people we have is to bring people to Christ. Come, when our Savior was on earth, he said to everybody he met, he said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you what? Rest. What's he say to the woman who's got in a bad marital mess? She's got, she's got, had five relationships. Now she doesn't even bother getting married anymore. And what does he say to her? Come, go call thy husband and what? And what? Come. She comes, she goes to the village. She says, come see a man, told me everything I ever did. And these guys said, ooh, this is change. And the whole village followed her to Christ. We've got a message. And the message we have is come to Christ. But we can't do fancy footwork with it. John on that lonely island, put there by a dictator, Domitian, Domitian, who thought he was, uh, and styled himself as I am, he who was, is, and always shall be. That's Christ, not him. But he's got John, and he shut up the last living voice of the apostle, put him on an island, and John sees the living Christ, and he gives a message to the world, and he says, he falls at Jesus' feet, and Jesus said, John, don't do this. Worship God. Folks, the Son of God directs attention to who? To God the Father. The Spirit of God makes the gospel clear to us and helps our hearts to understand it so that the Son and the Father, the Trinity, will get the glory. Anybody that tries to divine them will always encounter that. Everything has got to be for the glory of who? God. And that's our job now. Whatever we do, whoever we talk to, in whatever state we are, whatever God has placed us, it's to pray and sing and think about the glory of God. I love this. I, I, I just close with this song. I'm not going to sing it. But one of my favorite writers is Bill Gaither. We sing because he lives a lot in the church here. But he's written one recently. And it's very apropos for him. It's this. Listen to it. Take the things I once called treasure. Take my castles in the sand. Take my shallow store of knowledge and the future I once planned. Take all vain accumulations, all awards and claims to fame. Take my hard-earned reputation and trade it all for his dear name. He's written his story and he's given to the world music. Other men have given other things. But listen to me. Give me Jesus, only Jesus. My heart can't resist his call. For the joy of his sweet sorrow, at his feet I lay it all. Take the friends that I once courted, what I hoped they'd think of me. Please restore your wealth I squandered. Chasing phantoms foolishly. Give me Jesus. The world needs desperately to see Jesus Christ. They oftentimes get false pictures. For all those reasons, as people write their own story. We have a story to write. It's our reputation. People will know us by it. And sometimes they will there because nobody's omniscient. They don't know everything. They don't see after the seeing. They see after the seeing of the eyes and the hearing of the ears, but not righteous judgment. Only Christ makes that. And it's important for us but to understand that there's a better story and it's his story and when we have write his story we have ministry whether it's in the office whether it's in the community whether it's in whatever endeavor god has placed you 
or whether it's in a Bible Institute as he's placed us. But we're all writing two stories. And the message now is desperately, don't, we must never be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus Christ, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in thine heart God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And Psalm 32, 8, you can guarantee it. Take it to the bank. God told me as a young man, you step out, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And he took me from the city of Toronto and brought me to New Brunswick. And I thank God for that privilege of being able to spend these years of my life and thank God for the friends and the people I've had the privilege of knowing and working with. And I know he's been faithful to do that. I have not always been faithful, but he has been faithful. And he will to every one of us. Oh, he's got a great plan. Look that child in the eye that you're praying for and you let them know that God's got a plan for their life. A big one. Father, we thank thee. Thank thee, I pray, you take the feeble attempt. I pray Christ will be honored. And I pray that there'll be somebody in this meeting this morning, Lord, who may just get along with you today and take you at your word and thank you for your great salvation. And thank you that no matter what they're having to navigate, you will instruct them and teach them in the way in which they should go. And you'll have people that will come along. You'll have your word that you've got and help us to listen to no man who fails to listen to God, but help us to listen to every voice that directs us to the Savior. Dismiss us now with thy blessing. Write your word upon the hearts of each one. In Jesus' name, amen.